Welcome to each and every one of you. It's good to be together today. And it's especially good to be able to uh, worship our God. He is present, longs to be with us, longs for our hearts to be open so that he can come flooding in to share his love. You noticed uh, on the, uh, the, the bumper just a second ago about the, the importance of uh, the foundation of God's love for each of our lives, certainly as individuals, um, as it relates to uh, every relationship we have, and in particular, every relationship that we have in family. Well, I'm here to report that I have uh, done a lot of weddings. And I got to tell you, I have done a lot of weddings down through the years. I have done so many weddings that the weddings I have done have sort of melded together into one big wedding. It's just kind of there in my mind that way. I do remember one wedding, though, where I actually caught on fire. It, now, in the interest of self-disclosure and full transparency, it was not much of a fire, but it still was a fire. I'd given things over to someone who had been asked by the bridal party uh, to read a scripture. And so I kind of stepped off to the side And as I uh, backed up, I found myself in this maze of uh, flowers and candles, and uh, it wasn't long before I started feeling the the groomsmen beating me on the back, and I'm thinking to myself, what in the world are these guys doing? And then I came to realize that, yes, indeed, my robe had caught on fire. I'm glad they promptly put it out, and my mom was able to stitch things up, and there we are, no worse for the wear. I went on with the service um, as if nothing happened. I could have really, I had all sorts of things running through my mind, but I, uh, I just went on with the service, but I did say at the end, well, at least we will remember this service as the one where the preacher caught on fire. Readings are, are common for every wedding service. Couples usually choose between a a few well-known passages. One, though, that is surprisingly not read that often is 1 Corinthians 13. It usually goes like this. Uh, You know, we'll be talking about those those passages as we're designing the service. And I'll mention 1 Corinthians 13. And the usual retort, either by the bride or the groom, is, "Oh, oh, everyone does that. And because everyone says that, 1 Corinthians 13 really never gets read. It'd be good for 1 Corinthians 13 to be read really at every wedding. It's, uh, it's a good, profound definition of love. In writing uh, 1 Corinthians 13, Paul talks about what he calls the most excellent way. He knows that love is the way of our Lord. He realizes that that love is the critical ingredient for every relationship. We can do a lot of things in this life, but if we do not have love, then it's pretty much all for naught. When it comes to family, we can be involved in all sorts of activities. When it comes to our kids, we can exhaust ourselves chasing after the illusion of the perfect family. But if love is not there, it's all for nothing. 
Love for others is uh, the most powerful and profound of all emotions. It is so profound, so powerful, that it almost goes beyond description. It's almost impossible to define. We know love, though, when we, when we see it. And maybe better put, we know love when we experience it. Paul takes a stab at defining love when he writes 1 Corinthians 13. Let's hear from a portion of that great chapter as we read 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 8. Let's hear this from God's Word. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always <coughs> protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. This is God's Word for God's people, and may it be a deep and abiding blessing to each of us. A dictionary is a good place to, to start when trying to define love. We already said that it's tough to define what love is. We just know it when we see it. We know it when we experience it. I suppose this definition is just about as, as good as, uh, as, as any. It comes from the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary. It says that love is a strong affection for another, arising <coughs> out of kinship or personal ties. That at least begins the discussion of what love really is. To dig a little bit deeper in, into what that definition is, we, we turn to the Scripture in 1 Corinthians 13. And Paul does, in fact, offer that wonderful definition of love in that beautiful bit of poetry that he writes. He uses uh, the Greek word for love as, as agape. It's a rich word fraught with all sorts of meaning. And Paul intentionally uses that word Agape. He could have had others at his disposal. Agape love is a reflection of God's love. Agape love is God's way with us and should be our way with other people. Agape is deeper and more enduring than friendship. It is always offered without self-interest. Author James Packer goes so far as to say that the Greek word agape seems to have been a Christian invention, a new word for a new thing. Agape, then, we might say is a Christian thing. 
1 Corinthians 13 is, is a wonderful chapter that employs this word agape over and over again to awaken us to the, to the very thing that God so longs to distill within our hearts and so longs for us to display wherever we are, especially in family. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul does a really good job of defining what love is and conversely, what love is not. He employs 15 short phrases, each of them profound in their own way. Now, we'll be going through those short phrases in, in hurried fashion today, but they, they bear your study, your contemplation, you digging deeply to, to understand how those phrases apply to your life. As a group, uh, they really bring home what Paul is, is trying to say. Every one of them challenges us to live out the high calling of love. Of the 15, seven are stated positively. Eight of them make their point more so in the negative. Paul knows that a, that a good way to learn is not just to consider what something is, but what something is not. So Paul writes this, love is patient, love is kind. It rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. These, these phrases that are stated so positively inspire us to the, to the lofty heights of love. Love that is patient bears with people despite their imperfections. That's tough to do, but love allows us to bear with those imperfections. Love that is kind demonstrates itself in supportive and compassionate way. Uh, love is always looking to the betterment of others, looking how love can be displayed as a matter of, uh, of kindness and in supportive and compassionate acts. Love that, that rejoices with the truth reveals, is, re, is revealed in things that are right and recognizes those same things in, in others. In other words, there's, there's a, a great rejoicing over what is right and true in this life and, and doubly rejoices in that when it comes to that being displayed in, in other people. Love that protects, looks out for the needs of others, even at the expense of the individual, always putting others first. Love that trust can be counted on and looks for the same in other people. There's a synergy when it comes to trust. Trust is earned. Trust is, is developed. Again, trust is one of those things that you just know is present, and when it's not present, you clearly know that it is not. And it takes two to be involved in that, that trusting relationship. Love that perseveres is long-suffering and is in it for the long haul. Think about it. All these things are applicable to, to family. And we are left to consider how they are best in play when it comes to our families. So take out the Scripture. And again, contemplate each one of these.
asking yourself, how are these a part of who we are as a family? As we said a second ago, eight of these 15 that Paul uses to help to define love are put in the negative. He writes, love is not jealous. It is not boastful. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not selfish. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil. These phrases stated in the, in the negative give us pause to consider how they may be playing out in our lives, especially how that plays out in family. Jealousy only leads to uncertainty. We, we know that to be the case. It keeps us from really trusting those we love. Boastfulness shines a light on ourselves at the expense of other people. That's simply not the way of love. Pride does so much, does much the same, but goes really a bit further. Those who are arrogant consider that they are the only ones who really matter. We need to be careful of that. The universe does not, uh, does not revolve around us. Rudeness uh, works to belittle others and has a way of, of hurting those who, uh, who we love. Let's be careful about being rude. Selfishness seeks to, to come out on top and is satisfied when others are left in the dust of that. Others are not given a chance to grow and prosper when selfishness is in the mix. Anger is hurtful in every way. All of us have been hurt by anger and especially hurt by anger when it is manifest in family. Those who are easily provoked make it tough on everybody else. It's no fun walking on eggshells, particularly when it comes to our life and family. Keeping no record of wrongs is a natural outgrowth of forgiveness, which is necessary for any relationship to prosper. We'll find ourselves never really persevering, never really being healthy in family, unless we truly forgive, unless we truly receive forgiveness. Taking no delight in evil keeps everyone on the right path. Envy, boastfulness, pride, rudeness, selfishness, anger, keeping a, a record of wrongs, delighting in evil. All of these at their base are founded in, in selfishness, which is the very antithesis of love. When Paul speaks about such things, he's talking about those traits that have no place in our relationships, and in particular, the relationships that we share in family. Paul puts things succinctly as he goes through these, uh, these, the, these characteristics, these, these points of definition regarding love. He, he puts it at the it puts it right succinctly uh, at, in the, the eighth verse, right at the end of that. He says, love never fails. Think about that. Love never fails. He declares that and stamps it as true. He exclaims with, with all, in, all the energy that he can muster, love never fails. And indeed, as we uh, notice and experience love in family, we know that it has a way of helping us to overcome 
It has a way of, of helping us to move through whatever we face. If love is at the foundation of what we're about as family, we will find ourselves standing on that strong foundation. We've been talking about home construction, and we know that with every home, if the foundation is not right, then the home is not going to be right. If our home is built on love, the foundation of love, if it is strong in that foundation, then the home will certainly, uh, certainly be constructed rightly and will, will come on and stand st- strong and, and true. Love won't fail. When times get tough, when disappointment abounds, and we know that disappointment comes, it's just a part of life, it's a part of family. But yet, love is our foundation, will see us through those disappointments. And when we feel as though we cannot make it another day, love will indeed see us through. So often in the things that we face, we can't go around them, we can't go under them, we can't go over them. We're left with going through them. And love allows us to do just that. Love has always been God's answer. Just look at the life of Christ. His love would not wilt even in the face of hardship. I've heard it said that love at at first sight is is really nothing special. Love, though, is, is special when two people face the challenges of life and they persevere, making it through whatever comes their way. They make it through because love is evident and at the center of who they are. More good things have been done in the name of love than by any other means. More relationships have been struck. More hurts have been healed. More progress has been made because of love. So these three remain, says Paul, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Without love, life is without its essential foundation. Love is the essential foundation for every relationship. It is the essential foundation upon which life is built. It is the very thing that that God intended to, to, to manifest in this world in sending His Son, Jesus. Without love, we miss the essential foundation of life. So Paul summarizes things as he finishes up what William Barclay calls one of the most wonderful chapters in the entire New Testament. In just the the next chapter, in 1 Corinthians 14.1, Paul writes, make love your aim. Now, Paul's writing to to a fractious church. The the church in in, in Corinth was, was all over the place. They they, they were divided in, in any number of ways. And Paul, uh, almost as a matter of crescendo, brings, uh, brings this most excellent way, and he begins to define love. And as he pulls out of that, that opportunity to define, he, uh, he then goes on and, uh, and offers this challenge, basically a, a challenge to put the, the rubber on the road, if you will. Make love your aim. Just don't talk about it. Don't just sit and stew and contemplate on on how love is defined, but actually make it at play in your life. 
Make love your aim. That should be the desire of every one of us, particularly when it comes to family. Love is the one essential thing upon which our homes need to be constructed. In seeking to make love our aim, I can't help but remember what what Gary Chapman says about the language of love when he writes his great book, The Five Languages of Love. He asserts that each person has his or her own love language, kids included. Let's not leave them out. Kids included, they too have their own specific language of love. We, we do well to consider that language when, when we're trying to relate to those that we love. Again, our kids included. According to, to Chapman, those, uh, those languages include gifts, just flatly giving others gifts. That language includes acts of service, looking to, to help another out. That, that language includes words of affirmation. It's self-explanatory just to be there with the, the words that you speak into a person's life being supportive and loving in every way. Quality time is another one of those languages. We, we speak volumes by just giving time to another person. And then finally, physical touch. Many respond to that. Nothing like uh, touch to, to convey love. Chapman goes on to say that each of us has a primary love language, one of the five which speaks more deeply than the other four. If we don't speak the primary love language of the one you're trying to relate to, then he or she may not feel loved, even though you very well may be sincere in trying to share that love. So here's a little bit of homework for you with the emphasis on home. H-O-M-E. Consider the, the, the love languages of those in your family and seek to communicate with them in, in that way, all with an interest of making love your aim, of really trying to live out the love that is the love of God in you and then working through you to good effect. And so the very foundation of what we're about in all relationships, but, but certainly the relationships that we have in, in family is love. Our foundation is love. It is the most excellent way. So make love your aim in all you do and see the relationships around you, even in family, prospering and growing and reflecting the very presence of God in your midst. Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you for blessing us in your love. Thank you for the supreme expression of love in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be able to share that love with those who are around us. God, it is our prayer today that you would, would work to the extent where the foundation of our families is built on love. 
We pray, Lord, that in that you would be found evident. God, we pray continually for your, your, your help in the midst of family. We pray for your strength and power. Lord, today we pause to pray for your love. May it be evident in every way. And as it is evident, may you be evident as well. And in the midst of it all, may you gain praise and glory for all that you have done. God, we do pray your blessings over our families. And may love be evident at every turn. This prayer we make in the name of Christ. Amen.